But yeah, you know, I was thinking about Isaiah 6 that we talked about Sunday when Isaiah saw the king. He saw the king and he lived to tell about it. And how that had such an impact and an influence upon him where he couldn't help but say, he wasn't looking for it. That's the thing about it. He wasn't asking for it. But God showed himself to him. And God met with him. And and I was going to bring it up Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. It never came up. But there was a time, and tonight when we started off with, and I was looking at that. I was in here for a few minutes before anybody got in. Brother Shannon and Miss Pat come in, and I was looking in the hymn book. And I was looking at that song, uh, Revive Us, O Lord. And I was just going through it, and it was drawing back a, a memory when God spoke something into me one day out of Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119. In the, in, yeah, Psalm 119. Look in verse number 33, Psalm 119. And then we'll, we'll get into Isaiah but this is just a just a, a personal testimony, a testimony uh, thirty three Psalm one nineteen thirty three, just like how Isaiah shared a personal testimony of that time that he seen the king, and as a result of seeing him, God consecrated him. I mean, think about it: no sacrifice, no blood. No grain, no incense, none of that. No bulls, no lambs, none of that was there. But God engaged him. God consecrated him. Then God commissioned him to go for him. And what does Isaiah say? You know, he said that word. God said, who will go for us? Isaiah said, see me, I'm here. It's me, without any hesitation. It's me, I'll go for you. And that's really the idea of the Lord seeing us. Now, Isaiah 66, which we're going to eventually get there. We've talked about it before. You don't have to turn there. God tells us on the people for whom he looks upon, on who he sees. He says, why are you trying to build me a sanctuary? Why are you trying to build a temple? You can't contain God in a temple. God's glory fills the whole earth. Amen. Amen. You can't, no temple can contain the glory of God. There's no need to even attempt other than him leading them to build something for him. But he says this, upon this one will I look, those who are of a poor and contrite spirit and that tremble at my word. That is where Isaiah found himself. Undone, poor and contrite, depleted of life completely depleted of an answer, depleted of pride, and just said, I am undone, and I'm in the land of undone people. We're unclean. And God purged him and did a work with him and then sent him out. And when he did that, he couldn't help but say, God, I'm here. I'll go for you. See me. Because God only looks on those, those sacrifices, living sacrifices that are poor and contrite in spirit and that tremble at his word. That, that stand in awe of the fact that God would even decide to engage us or encounter us. But in these passages right here, I was in my office at Mount Horeb Baptist Church, our first church that I was pastor of, and I was actually recording uh, some music. 
And, and I was listening to preaching tapes and I was recording some stuff. I was going through a big box of stuff that I had that another guy sent to me. I had run across a fella previous to that and I had shared with him how much I enjoyed Ed Young Sr.'s messages. Ed Young was the pastor for years and he still may be, I'm not sure, I think he still is, of Second Baptist Church in Houston. But he's from Laurel, Mississippi, and he was on the radio, and I was a brand new believer. What's that? Ed, not Ed Young Jr., not the one that's the young popular one that, that is in Grapevine, Texas, but his dad, Ed Young Sr., which is a very well-known, very well-spoken, great preacher. Him, you know, he's up there with the Adrian Rogers and all, been around a long time, but he's from Laurel, Mississippi. And... I love to listen to him, and I mentioned that to a guy that was in that area and went to church at his church. Just in passing, ran across a guy one day. He said, man, tell me your name, give me your address. Two months later, I get a box that's this big. I'm talking about, I mean, I, I could barely put my arms around it. Sent UPS, and it was chocolate block full of nothing but preaching tapes of Ed Young. Full to the gills. I mean, they could barely put the, the tape on it to close the box up. And I was sitting in a chair, had a little back those days, you know, all this was cassettes. And I was sitting at a chair with a little cassette player and I was recording some stuff and listening. And I had been reading through this passage right here. And I was actually, while the music was playing and recording, I was, I was saying these verses out loud. I was, I was doing this. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. And notice this word. And revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. And when I was reading that, and I was reading because I talk out loud to myself all the time. I read out loud to myself. I don't think you should ever... Uh, as a teacher or preacher, unless it's just spurred a moment and you go to a passage that you didn't think you were going to go to and God led you to that and that. But if I was going to teach from a particular passage of Scripture, I think it's always best to read over that passage several times, not only quietly in your preparation, but read it out loud so you can hear it before you get up and attempt to read it before other people. It just helps you with the clarity of it, and you know the flow of it, and you're comfortable with it when you're handling and reading God's Word. So that's what I was doing. I was going to teach on these passages on that Sunday, and I was just going over it, and I was going through Psalm 119 at the time, and while I was reading that, just like I just did with you, sitting in that chair, it was as if the ceiling opened up in that room. And that God's presence sat down upon that room. Come on. Oh, it, and I wasn't asking for it, wasn't looking for it. But this is what I, I sensed in my spirit was this. 
that God asked me, do I know someone right now personally that is this hungry and thirsty for me? Out of your preaching friends, out of your flock, out of the folks you know, do you know someone who is this hungry and this passionate seeking me and desiring me and wanting to hear from me and, and wanting to walk in my ways for me to show him life and show him my path. And all I could sense was, was out of the, just out of my spirit as I, I don't know anybody that is this desperate and hungry for you. And this is the word that I gleaned. He said, he's still asking me to revive him. And he's still asking me to revive him. Amen. Oh man, it humbled me. It broke me, yeah. you know. Here the, the, the writer under the inspiration of the Spirit is asking for everything that we should be seeking and desiring and longing for as if we would look at it as if, man, he's in the right place. And he is. But he's still asking God yeah. to quicken him yeah. and revive him. And I couldn't help but think about that. I was wanting to share a little bit of that personal testimony myself, like Isaiah, who saw the glory of God and saw the hem of his garment filling the temple and, and how that affected him as, as though he was nothing in the presence of God. And that's what God showed me, that I was, that I was nothing. I, I, everybody I knew was nothing before him, yet this guy who we would say has arrived is still asking God to do a work of revival in his heart. Amen. Man, I just, that spoke to me. And that's why I was looking through those verses and then we just happened to sing. I said, I got, I got to share it tonight. Yeah, Amen. But that, that's, that's, and I, I know that I've shared that uh, with y'all in the past, but it's been a few years with that. But it just reminded me every time I go through Isaiah and I dig and dig and I take a picture of him there seeing the glory of God, that, that comes back to mind to me. And there's only been a few times, a few occasions where out of the ordinary, not me asking, seeking, looking, uh, God did something in an extraordinary way that transformed me at that journey and in, in, in phase of my walk with Him. No different than when I surrendered to preach and was planning on going to served there at Northcrest and had no clue what was coming, didn't know what was coming ahead, was just riding down the road one day, listening to praise music, just celebrating the Lord, wasn't asking for it, and then God speaks a word into me. It's as if I, uh, though I didn't hear this audible thing, but it seemed like it was an audible thing. It was as clear as a bell where he said, I'm testing the heart of the people. I have a place prepared for you. It's just like that. I didn't have to ask anymore. I knew who it was. I knew what it was, but I didn't know why. But then two days later, three days later, I get the word that, hey, things are not going to work out here. I knew right away, well, hey, God's got something else. And it's a lot better than what I thought that was going to be. Amen. And I'm just willing to serve. I'm, and, and I think that's the best tool that we could have is just being available. Just being available. And see, that's what Isaiah was. He was available. Available. You don't have to be the sharpest tool in the toolbox. You don't have to be the wisest tool in the toolbox. You can be the dullest tool, but make yourself available to a, to a, to a master, and he can do something marvelous 
with an unusual tool, can't he? And that's just what he does. So uh, let's go look in Isaiah. Is there anything you want to share? Anything that you've been seeing? Any question that you might have? We're up to chapter 10, of course, in our reading. There is a lot that we have seen and read about. There's much that are in these passages. I've shared with you all already. I've been attempting. I don't know how I'm going to continue to be able to do it from day to day, especially when these grandkids come. I'm going to try to set aside just a, a few minutes to go over it and, and upload some things. One of the challenges being out here, though God is allowing us to do it, it just takes long to do it, is to upload stuff to the, to the World Wide Web. So these messages go on there. And, but I've been teaching through each chapter every day and been putting them on truthimpacts.com, which is sermon audio. The Lord just continues to uh, use it, getting some feedback off of it, that God's using it in people's lives and, and prayerfully. Uh, he, he will. I, I just make myself available to do it. There's a lot more people out there that could teach it a lot better than I can. But I just take the moment to, to share what I see at the time and ask God to use it for His glory and just grateful that it can be. So is there anything that you wanted to ask tonight that you wanted to share? Yes. Right, right. Can't give away what you don't have. Yes, yes. And there's things that we don't have that God gives when we're in the right position with him. You know, he feeds us and he, he'll tell us, you know, he'll give it to us when we need it. He was talking about in chapter 6, at the close of chapter 6, that God will give it to us. Uh, we can't give away what we don't have, which is very, very important for us. That's why the proverb says, look, buy truth, wisdom, and understanding, but do not sell it. That's basically saying... Do whatever it takes, pay the price, whatever it is, to glean, to get a hold of truth. Because you can't walk in truth that you don't have. It's the truth you know that you are able to apply, and it's that truth that sets you free. So you can't, you can't be free from something you don't know you have freedom in, and that's what the truth illuminates to us. Ain't he good, Carolyn? Ain't he good? A couple passages you can do in, in parallel study with where we are and dealing with like King Ahaz and Judah at the time. Also with Israel, the northern ten tribes, with Samaria. You know, you've seen that before, that name mentioned up, Samaria and Damascus. <coughs> Damascus is Syria. And then you're going to have Assyria. There's two different nations, Assyria and Syria. Assyria is the more dominant, powerful nation who is about to overthrow Israel. Israel, that would be classified as Ephraim that we've been reading in Isaiah, is, is their capital city is Samaria. That's the northern ten tribes. Well, they were in alliance with Syria. They joined their forces, their kingdom, their armies. They wanted Judah to join in with them. They would not join. They didn't have permission to join. So then they conspired to go take Judah. And that's where Isaiah went to Ahaz in chapter number 7. And he tells him, don't be shaken by these things. Scripture says how he was moved like the trees in the wind. That's basically saying he was swayed. He was, he was blown away by, by this word that 
Israel and the Assyria and their alliance with one another, we're going to come overthrow them. But God says, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. If you will believe me, you will be established. You'll be unmovable and unshakable if you trust in me. Now, the problem is Ahaz was a wicked king. He was wicked from the start. I don't know where the disconnect come in because Uzziah, remember we looked at Uzziah Sunday. Uzziah was a very strong, godly king who was marvelously helped by God until the last four years of his life. The last four years of his life. What did he do? What did we learn he did? Pride. And y'all know pride's not picky, right? Pride shows no partiality. You give pride an inch, what is pride going to take? It's going to take over. And when pride takes over, it disables the God factor in our life. We, want the God, we need God's favor. And when pride comes in, why? God resists the proud. But what does he give to those who are humble? Who need him? He gives more grace to them. He gives grace upon grace. Well, a, uh, Uzziah, this great, mighty king, greatly helped by God, extraordinarily helped by God, just in every facet of his journey of his life, but when he became strong within himself, when he became prideful. Same thing happened to David. David said, in his prosperity, in his peak, David said, I shall not be moved. And the next thing that happened, he says, then God made the mountain before me stand strong. You see, when we exalt ourselves, what will God do? He's going to humble us. He's going to put something in front of you that you cannot conquer. You can't overcome as a form of his chastening love. And God showed him favor and dealt with him. But Uzziah got angry when he went in to offer that offering. And what did the priest come in? And, and him with a bunch of other priests said, you don't have the authority to be here. You don't have the authority to do it. And he got mad and he persisted. And what happened? Leprosy. That leprosy isolated him. He could not go back to his house. He couldn't go back in the, in the sanctuary, in the temple any longer. He couldn't be among his family any longer. So... He reigned for 52 years, and this happened in the last four years of his reign. So the last four years of his life, he was isolated because of pride. That's what it led to. His son Jotham took over, and his son Jotham reigned for 16 years. But he reigned when he, he was leader over Uzziah's house for four years. Uzziah was still king. But he couldn't govern from his house or from the kingdom. He had to be isolated because of his leprosy. So his son ruled in his stead for four years. And then when Uzziah died, he was then crowned king. And then he reigned for 16 more years. Now where the disconnect come in, I have no earthly idea. But there was a, there was a disconnect between Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. Uzziah... For, for 48 years, did everything right in the sight of the Lord, minus one thing, which several kings we see this happen. They didn't tear down the high places. And that, that was a crippling factor. 
They didn't tear down the high places. Jotham comes in behind him, reigns for 16 years, and it said he did everything according to the, the house of his fathers. He did everything according to David in his leadership, with the exception of they didn't tear down the high places. Well, you don't tear down the high places, eventually that's going to bite you. It's going to get you at some point. But somewhere, I'm not sure what happened, two godly men as a whole, grandpa and father, and then he has a son, and the son goes as far to the left as you could possibly go. There was a disconnect somewhere that took place between the grandfather and the father and the son because the scripture says that Ahaz walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Not the kings of Judah, but he learned their ways. He lived their ways. He loved their ways. And as a result, from there on out, for the next 16 years, all you have is one wicked thing after another. One wicked thing after another. So I, I've pondered. I've, been, I've just been asking the Lord. There's nothing in the scriptures that tells us specifically what happened in that disconnect. There's a lot that we could probably assume. And their kid was Right. And not just ministers. I mean, just parents, men and women who are solid families. Where was the disconnect in there? Well, it's a hard issue, no doubt. I mean, the, the heart is, is where the issue's at. It's a heart thing. Solomon says it like this in Ecclesiastes that, look, there's nothing on the outside of a man makes the man love or hate. That's a heart issue. One man loves one thing and another man hates that same thing. One man loves something, another man hates it. One man hates something and another man loves it. It's a heart thing. It's got nothing to do with what's on the outside. It's all the issue of the heart. It, here's this young boy. The year that he got leprosy is when he was born. So for four years, Grandpa lives in isolation. Was it something to do with, here's Grandpa lived 48 years of his life and the last days of his life, he turned and did something foolishly, which seemed to be a light manner for a young kid. And then God gives such a severity on it that it isolated him from everybody else. So therefore he's angry and he's mad at God. So he turns to other. I mean, that's, that's a possibility. No doubt. All those things. I mean, you, you can, you can look at it at a hundred different ways, but no matter how you look at it, it was a heart issue with Ahaz. And, and he was just wicked. So when Isaiah comes to him and says, look, I know you have been blown away by the report of what these two nations are coming to do. You have no reason to fear them whatsoever. Just hallow the Lord, sanctify the Lord in your heart, fear Him, and let Him be your dread. Look to Him and lean on Him. Trust me and I will establish you. But what had happened, Ahaz had already went to Assyria. And he done brought money from the treasury of the house of God. He took money from the, the king's treasury and he took money from the people and he went to the Assyrian king and he says, look, I need you. Here's all this money. We, can I hire you to be a protector? And I want to tell you, in the kingdom of God, that's a no-no. Yeah. You don't go to somebody else and ask for help when God is the one who says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be your strength. 
Any time we ever see God's people turn into Egypt, turn into Assyria, turn into anybody, any outside nation for help, it, it had devastating effects upon them as a nation. God would not permit them to continue and progressively turn to everything else but Him and not seek His counsel without His permission to do what they was doing. Well, He did that. So when Isaiah encountered Him, Isaiah said, look, just ask a sign from God. I remember reading that. Just ask a sign from God, whether it be in the heavens or in the depths of the sea or the earth. Just ask a sign. There's not one thing God cannot do. He'll show you a sign that He's with you. He's with us. You know, that's where Emmanuel comes in. God with us. God was with them. Now the question was, would Ahaz be with God? God was with His remnant. And he would have protected the people if the people would have what? Turned to him. So he says, just ask for a sign, anything, and I'll do it for you. But what did Ahaz tell him? He acted super spiritual. And he says, I will not dare ask a God a sign. I'm not going to test him. But what God knew was that Ahaz had already went out and hired somebody else to be his protector. And he just acted like he would never ask God to have to do something like that for him. He could care less what God did. He didn't know who God was. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. The sign is a child shall be born unto a virgin. And before that lad, that little one, knows the difference between his right hand and his left hand. He can discern good and evil. Both of these nations that you're dreadfully afraid of and had to go get help from somebody else to defend yourself with, both of these nations are going to collapse. In 65 years, they're going to collapse. They're not even a threat. They wouldn't even be a threat to you. They're just noisemakers is all they are. They're just noisemakers. Noisemakers. They sound threatening. They look threatening. They may be a threat to other people, but they're not a threat to my people. If you'd let me be your sanctuary and your refuge. Amen. Ahaz had already set his mind up that he wasn't going to seek God. And it cost him dearly. We keep reading through. That's where we get in. You keep going. Chapter 9. What, what a beautiful passage that is. These things in the first few verses of chapter 9 where it talks about, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, that dimness. You know, the people just continue to seek darkness, and they just went deeper and deeper in the darkness instead of turning to the Lord. Remember we talked about that Sunday evening, that if anybody tells you to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, don't listen to them anymore. Don't pay any attention to them. Why? Because we, we, we see Isaiah here in chapter number 8. Look in chapter 8, verse number 20. He says, To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to the law and the testimony, which he's talking about the Word of God, it is because there is what? No light in them. Remember when Paul went down to Berea after he left Thessalonica? And he went and preached down in Berea, and the Scripture says that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica and everywhere around. And when Paul preached to Christ, it says they searched the Scriptures. 
to verify that everything Paul said was founded and based upon the Scriptures. They searched. What Scriptures did they search? Paul was preaching what? Christ and Him resurrected. But they went back to the Old Testament to verify what he was saying was authentic. And God commended that. Why? Because you can't unhitch yourself. You can't detach yourself from the Old Testament in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation and the basis of all that we do. Amen. Chapter 9 tells us, For a child shall be born and a son given, and his name shall be what? Called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God. So he says right here, If they don't stand on the Word of God, there is no light in them. They are in darkness. And they just lead other people in the darkness. Amen. And think about how the Jews, how do the Jews reckon time? How do they reckon time? What is a, how's the day start for the Jew? Just how they count a day. When's a new day start for the Jew? Well, uh, no, actually it's six o'clock at evening. The evening before, right? That's right, that's right. Which is a great picture, which is a great picture. Now watch. Even in the morning of the first day. Because this is, this is a picture here. At six o'clock in the evening, what do you have? You have dust. You have light, but that light is what? It's fading, it's dim. Then you go into what? Darkness. But then there is a dawning of the morning coming. The sun is going to rise. And you know, that's how creation is. That's how we were. There was this dim light. And then we journeyed into the night of darkness. But then the sun of the morning rose in our heart. That dawning of the Lord. And this is exactly what chapter 9 is talking about. Those who sat in darkness, for there shall be a light that dawns on them. That shines on them. And everywhere he mentions in chapter number 9, in the first few verses there... Where is that? When he talks about Zebulun, Naphtali, and then Galilee of the Gentiles, for they have seen a great light. Those who sit in the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. Anybody know where that's at? That's in the northern parts of Israel. That's in Galilee. Who walked through Galilee? Who? Oh, I see, that's why Matthew chapter 4, it says that this word that Isaiah prophesied was fulfilled in Jesus, that this light had dawned on those who sat in darkness. It started out as it was dim and it went dark. In the next 739 years, they sat in darkness until a day, a new day was dawning when the Lord Jesus Christ, that one that, that child that was born and that son that was given, he is the one who was going to dawn that new day when he walked through Galilee and shed that light upon them. So all those places are prophetic about Jesus. Is that where he was going to start his ministry? That's where he was going to make himself known. He was going to walk through uh, uh, those areas of Galilee. And the reason it's called the Galilee of the Gentiles 
is because, remember, Assyria overthrew Samaria and those northern regions, and they brought all these foreigners in from all over the world to occupy that land. One day the beast gets too strong. They don't know what to do with it. So let's say, let's go get some of them priests that Jeroboam raised up. They'll tell us what to do with it. And then they told them, this is how you fear God and serve your idols at the same time. And then for the next 700 years, that's how they live. Fearing God, quote, end quote, drawing near to God with their mouth, but their hearts were far from them because they taught them how to, quote, end quote, fear God and serve their idols at the same time. And it was occupied by Gentiles and crossbred Jews that lived in that area. But that's the same area that Jesus started his ministry in. Amen? Amen. And brought light, brought light to a dark world in that new day dawning. And then we see that his reign began at that time. Um, but that reign is where? In us. In us. Yeah. That millennial kingdom hadn't come yet when he actually reigns upon the earth. That hadn't come. So he started what we see in 6 and 7, but there's still a lot yet to be fulfilled in that. His kingdom is steadily increasing. It's steadily growing. And he is coming back. And who's going to make sure it all happens? Uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform it all. Amen. So every time you see a missionary, every time you hear a message, every time you proclaim the message, every time you witness, every time you talk with somebody about praying, every time we gather together and we open the word and Jesus is proclaimed, that is the zeal of the Lord of hosts doing what he's promised he would do, and that is expanding his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Now in the hearts of men, but one day, it's going to cover the earth. And he's going to change everything when he returns. And there's so much more. There's so much more that I want to talk about tonight with you. But we just have run out of time. Chapter 10 starts out, Woe with those who decree unrighteous decrees. That's basically legislators. People who write laws to take advantage of people. Who rip people off. Who fatten their pocketbooks for themselves by just simply writing a law, writing a law that it's legal to have an abortion. Woe unto them. Writing these laws that take lands from widows and, and children so that the government can get their hands on all that and still that's all that's unrighteous decrees that 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 our land, our legislators have done to take care of themselves and just abuse the people of the land. You can rest assured, don't fret over the evildoers. Their, their glory is going to end. It's going to end quickly. Their end is coming. That's why he says just trust in the Lord. Amen. Dwell in the land. Feed upon his faithfulness. Commit yourself to him. Trust what he gives you. Rest in the Lord and don't fret about it. Amen? Amen. Because the king's coming. Amen. And when the king comes, he'll be the one who makes the difference in the land. People, we're not going to fix our government. The kingdom-minded people seek to transform, transform the heart of men, not the heart of the land. They transform the heart of men and not the heart of the land. Of course, when a man's heart's been transformed, it changes everything about him. But our goal is not to change the political scene, not to change politics in America. Our aim is to change the heart of individuals one by one for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And then let God make the difference in what he does in their life. And I think we just lose focus on those things. But the kingdom-minded servant 
transforms, seeks to transform the heart of men through the message of the gospel and not change the heart of the land. And his hand is still stretched out. His hand is still stretched out. Twofold. He wasn't done with judgment, yeah. but he was given a chance for mercy at the same time. You see that in chapter yeah. 9. Four times in previous other chapters, what, that's what he said. Of all this that he's already done, the Lord's hand is still stretched out. That's twofold, though. That's saying he's, he's got more he's going to give if you don't get right, but he's still giving you an opportunity to reach out and take a hold of his hand Amen. and trust him, to trust him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We ask you to help us. We want to just be those co-laborers with you. Be difference makers with you for your glory. Thank you for teaching us. Revive us. Quicken us. Make us hungry and thirsty and, and, and desperate uh, for your presence in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love y'all.